0: Turn if you would to Psalm 19. Yes, all of our kids are beginning to show up. Grandchild number one and, and his parents showed up at 1.30 a.m. yesterday, <laughs> driving in from Colorado. And daughter number one and her husband are flying in as we speak right now. So it's amazing. We'll have a mob Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Psalm 19 is going to talk to us about how we know about God. We have discussed in here before that commonly we talk about two ways that God reveals Himself to humanity. The first is through creation, and the second is through His Word. Through his creation, as we look at nature, we learn things about God. There is some speculation that if we had not fallen, if Adam and Eve had not fallen into sin, creation itself would have been enough to reveal to us the truth about God. But in our fallen nature, more is needed. So the second half of Psalm 19 is going to talk about his word. So we have creation in the first half, and we have the Word of God given to us in the second half. Now remember, psalms are poetry. So in this first half, we see a lot of imagery dealing with nature. We talk about nature's voice. We talk about the sun. And these are both real things, and they are images that he uses to portray to us things about god remember all of this is about how we learn about god let's begin the heavens declare the glory of god and the skies proclaim his handiwork how in the world do the heavens declare the glory of god well it communicates to us certain things about God. It communicates to us the grandeur of God, the bigness, if you will. The fact that God is so much greater than we are. Remember back in Psalm, whatever it was, 8, where it says, I look at the stars in the heavens and I wonder how you could, how you God, could have such interest in We as mere human beings. As we look at nature, we begin to understand that God is so much bigger than we are. But in addition to that, as we look at nature, we begin to understand that behind nature, there is a designer. There is a creator. There is someone who made this, gave it order, gave it purpose, gave it meaning, It isn't just a series of random things. Now, we are not going to have a discussion today here about the merits or lack of merit about evolution versus creation. Suffice it to say that I believe, and I believe the Scripture teaches, that God spoke the world into existence. You take some reasonably complicated device... And you sit there and you look at it and you know, you know that somebody designed it. Now, you may question their thinking process while they were designing it, but you know it didn't just happen by accident. The tornado did not go through the junkyard and produce a modern automobile. It just didn't happen. Now, we might add, For evolution to work, you can't start with a junkyard. You have to start with nothing and send the tornado through and somehow produce a modern automobile. It just doesn't work. Nature itself presents to us an order and a design about how things operate. Now, let's remind ourselves, though, what did we talk about just a moment ago? The fact that we, as human beings, Fell, And we also know from Romans chapter whatever it is, that all creation, Romans chapter 8, all creation groans because creation itself knows that this isn't the way the world is supposed to be. But that is a revelation to us also. The fact that things are not the way they ought to be. So, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. You just sit there. I've told you before, because my wife mentions this all the time. How can you sit there with a child in your arms and think that just happened? It doesn't work that way anyway. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Huh. Think about this. You're sitting out there in your yard at night, and you're listening. What kind of speech do you hear? Or I guess I should say, what kind of speech do you not hear? You don't hear nature speaking words at least not usually. What you hear, though, is nature proclaiming the glory of God. It is pouring out speech that produces knowledge, even though it isn't like the speech that you and I may use when we communicate with God, it, with each other, excuse me. It is God communicating to us. Nature itself is trying to tell you something. And guess what? You're probably not listening. You're probably not. If you're anywhere like my kids, it's because you've got your earbuds plugged in your ears and you're just not listening. We do not pay attention to creation and what it tells us about God. We are just not that interested. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is a knowledge that we can get about God from nature. Romans chapter 1 tells us that the invisible attributes of God can clearly be seen from through nature. But the truth is that we chose to worship something else, and in choosing to worship something else, we stuffed our ears and would not listen, would not see what God was revealing us to us through creation. There is no speech, there are no words where His voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world... Back up. What is the there? Day to day pours out speech and night reveals knowledge. That knowledge is being spread throughout the world. There is no part of the world where some language is spoken or not spoken that God's created revelation to us is not speaking out the truth of God. It is interesting, one of the questions that always gets asked to people who are trying to defend the Christian faith is, what about the poor guy in Africa who's never heard the gospel? Well, what we're hearing here in the scripture is that creation, everywhere, where every language, every tongue is spoken, creation is revealing the truth about God. But guess what? They don't want to listen to it any more than we want to listen to it. Therefore, there's a problem. There is no speech, there are no words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and the words to the end of the world. Every part of the world is hearing the voice of creation proclaiming to us the glory of God. In them he has set a tent for the sun. Remember, this is poetry. And remember, I'm not very good at poetry. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Okay. Let's just take all of creation and take one piece of it. One minuscule, well, it's not that minuscule. Let's talk about the sun. Every morning, the sun comes up. This is a test. Which direction does it come up? That way. And every evening, it goes that way. It disappears from our view. Now, you and I know what that means, right? The earth is rotating. The earth rotates. We see the sun. Okay. But if you're looking at this from imagery, what you see is the sun comes out of its tent. It goes across the sky, and it goes back into its tent. Why does he talk about the sun? Because it's big, it's massive, it covers all of us. None of us can escape its presence. In fact, if you did escape its presence, you would probably die. Just saying. The sun is part of God's revelation to us. Now, I might add, if you're a good, um, I don't know, Egyptian, at the time all this is being talked about, you may actually worship the sun. You may think the sun is so cool and exciting. It must be God. It must be the thing that is in charge of everything. It's the thing that causes the crops to grow. It's the thing that brings heat to our cold bodies. What did Paul say in Romans chapter 1? we as fallen sinful human beings begin to worship the created thing instead of the creator we are told to look at the sun and say wow isn't god great because he made the sun what do we think oh isn't the sun great and that's the end of the story the sun is like a bridegroom leaving its chamber like a strong man who runs his its course with joy. The picture, well, there's two pictures here. One of them is the bridegroom. The bridegroom comes to get the bride. We see this in the Old Testament, we see this in the New Testament, the idea that, well, in the New Testament it's Jesus who is the bridegroom who is going to come to get the bride, us, the church. Now, just an observation. What do you think is the attitude of the bridegroom when he's coming to get the bride? Oh, shoot, what have I gotten myself into? (laughs) No, I doubt it. It's joy. It is joy of, oh... I am coming to receive my bride. This is interesting, by the way. Did I tell you this is poetry? (laughs) The sun comes with joy to go through its course. Now, why would the sun, an inanimate object, come with joy? Because all of creation, except human beings, all of creation finds joy in doing what it was created to do. It's just us that messed everything up. The Son, joyfully, like the bridegroom, joyfully fulfills the mission that God has appointed it to do. But remember, it's poetry. It reveals truths about God by using human imagery. The rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. You would freeze to death in the absence of the heat of the sun. I mean, it's just plain, basic physics. In the absence of the heat, you're going to die. But, the heat of the sun covers all of the world like God's revelation through nature. We could stop there. Except for the fact that you and I Are fallen human creatures, and God knew that we needed more. And what God gives us is His direct revelation through His Word. I might add, what is the best example of that Word? The second answer is the Bible. The first answer is the Son of God. Jesus. But we'll deal with the Bible right now. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even such fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Let's just stop right there. We see in here a series of words used to describe the Word of God. If you want to jump ahead to Psalm 119, don't do it because we're not going there. What you see here is Psalm 119 in miniature. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. It is a series of discussions about the wonders and glories and beauty of the law of God. So... The first obvious question that we have is what is meant by the law of God? There's actually a series of words here. The law, the testimony, the precepts, the commandment, the fear, the rules. Now, some commentaries go to great lengths to talk about how these words all differ from each other. And they do, okay? And it's cool stuff. But when you get over to Psalm 119 and it starts repeating these, there are others who think it was just a poetic device. All of them are basically talking about the same thing, which is God's revelation to us, God's word given to us. You know, we think about the law, and the first thing that comes to our mind is the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not, okay? Okay. But when a good Jewish reader of this time would talk about the law, he would talk about the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Torah. Those are the law. So it's a much broader picture. I'm going to take the view that this is basically anything that God has communicated to us. Obviously, when David is writing this, he knows nothing about Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, etc., etc. Nothing about them. He doesn't know about Micah, Isaiah, Jeremiah. He doesn't know about any of those things. But what he knows is that God has communicated and that what God has communicated is perfect and good. And I am going to take the position that that applies to everything that God has communicated to us. So we're going to talk about this, and we're going to use the idea that when he says the law, the testimony, the precepts, the commandment, we're talking about God's revelation to us. Everything that God has sent to his, the writers, he inspired them, he told them, this is what you need to write, and that's what we have as the Scripture today. So what do we learn from this passage about what god has revealed to us the law of the lord is perfect reviving the soul now before we get to the perfect part let's talk about the words in between the law of the lord hmm, the precepts of the lord the commandments of the lord the fear of the lord the rules of the lord What is the common denominator of all of these? The Lord. This is the covenant God that established a covenant relationship with the nation of Israel, who has a covenant relationship with us today. This is God communicating. Let's stop right there. Take a deep breath. I have read the sayings of Confucius several times, actually, and I like it. It essentially is a series of proverbs of how you ought to structure a society. It would probably drive a lot of you crazy, but I like it. But I believe that a man who was wise in the world's way of doing things sat down one day and wrote out or spoke to a scribe and said, this is a smart thing to say. And that man was Confucius. They wrote them down, and that's the sayings of Confucius. Okay? You can do the same thing with the Quran. You can do the same thing with the Book of Mormon. You can do the same thing. What is it about the Scripture that I think, you think, we think, God thinks, makes it different. And that is, it is of the Lord. The commandments of the Lord. This we understand to mean that God has given to us truth about how the universe works. He has given it to us in an In an infallible way, that means it is without error. When I read the sayings of Confucius, I go, hmm, I like that one, that one, eh. And I think that's okay. Because I know that it was written by a man. I do not believe that David, on his own, constructed this psalm. I believe, as the New Testament tells us, that God inspired holy men to write down, this is what you're supposed to say, because this is the Word of God. Now, we could have a lengthy discussion about this, because today there is a huge, huge, huge debate. No, In some circles, it's not even a debate anymore. That the Bible is just another book written by smart people at some particular point in time, and we look at it in its historical context, and that's all it means. The New York Times Magazine, a couple of weeks ago, had an article about the guy that runs the Cabinet Bible Study, the Presidential Cabinet Bible Study. Did you know that he's seven foot two? Anyway, that's a whole different subject. He's a pastor. He's seven feet feet tall. Anyway, he's a pastor and he leads the Bible study. Well, two issues later, they have letters to the editor. And one of the letters just said, Do you really want somebody who believes the Bible is absolutely true to be around these impowerful people? (laughs) We all know it's just made up. Guess what? I do not believe it was all made up. Now, as I said, you and I could have a long discussion, a long argument to try to convince you of that. Today, since we are in this church, I have the privilege of just telling you, assuming that we understand the Bible is of the Lord. The commandments of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, they're all of the Lord. Let's just stop right there. The law of the Lord is pretty good. When my kids were younger, we used to do Bible readings around the table, and we'd give each person a Bible. And each person would read two verses that we worked our way around the table. And I'd get to mine, and I would subtly change some words just to see if they were following along. (laughs) And sometimes they were, and sometimes they weren't. The law of the Lord is not just pretty good. The law of the Lord is perfect. What does it mean when we talk about God's word being perfect? It means that it is without flaw. This is not a term paper written by some high schooler that probably has a few dozen typos in it. They're not there. It doesn't mean that it kind of, sort of communicates the truth, but you know what? They ran out of time and didn't get the full version in. It means that it is perfect in its structure. It is perfect for accomplishing what it was meant to do. What is the word of God supposed to do for us? Communicate God's will, God's purpose to us. And to do that, it is perfect. Now, that doesn't mean that it's it's everything that you might want it to be. I mean, wouldn't you just love, I mean just love, when Jesus is resurrected and he's on the road to Emmaus and he's telling them from the Old Testament why Jesus must suffer, wouldn't you just love to have that sermon written down? But it's not there. Why? God gave us what we needed to know about Him. Not everything that we might want to know about everything else. Its purpose is to reveal God to us. And in doing so, it is perfect. It is exactly what it needs to be. Every lesson I've ever taught, I will go home this afternoon and I will think about all the things I should have said differently. I should have used this word. I shouldn't have used that one. That was a bad point. And I will, but you know what? God doesn't sit at home and say, I wish I told David to write Psalm 19 a little bit different. It's perfect it is perfect and what does it do for us the law of the lord is perfect it revives the soul we are spiritual physical beings we have a soul we have a body we have a spirit we have a body There are those who speculate that we are a physical being that happens to have a spirit. There are others who speculate we are a spiritual being that happens to have a body. I happen to like that idea. But the reality is they're inseparable. That is who God created us to be. But sometimes when our body is weary, our spirit is weary Sometimes our spirit is weary and we see that manifest in our bodily activities. They are merged together. And when our body is weary, what do we do? We take a nap. We eat something. It revives our body. It is nourishment to our body. What is it that revives our soul? The Word of God. God speaking to you but wait he's not speaking to me he's writing some strange words here on this paper no he's speaking to you and if you are a believer you have the holy spirit inside you to tell you to revive your soul using the words of god go find you a good psalm (gasps) Ah, we're reading one. And let it revive your soul. In the same way that our bodies will decay and fall apart in the absence of nourishment, our souls will decay and fall away in the absence of the Word of God. It is the nourishment that is given to us. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Let's have a show of hands. No, it's not. How many of you are simple? I'm not going to ask you how many of you are wise, because if you held up your hand, you're probably wrong. And if you didn't hold up your hand, you could be right. In the book of Proverbs, we have a set of different types of people that the book of Proverbs deals with. There is the fool. The fool looks at God and says, nope. He says there is no God. He has rejected the truth. The wise listen to the word of God. They put it into practice. They are putting it into their lives. They are living wise lives. But who are the simple? The simple are those who just don't know. The best example of a simple person would be a child. They just don't know. Unfortunately, we have lots of people who are adults who just don't know. Now, at some point, if you're too far along the path of life and you're still a simple person, it probably means that you heard the truth and you rejected it. But... Somebody's phone's going off. <laughs> it stopped. But, but, how do the simple become wise? This is an easy question. By listening to the Word of God. You go, I'm in some situation, and I don't know what to do. I don't. And God says, Let me show you what to do. Now, I'll let you in a little secret. If you're on the edge of the cliff and you haven't prepared for being on the edge of the cliff, you're probably going to be in trouble. What you need to do is take the Word of God, allow the Word of God to work in your life so that when the difficult times come, you have the wisdom and understanding to survive. How do the simple become wise, they do it by listening, reading, hearing, applying, doing the Word of God. And you know what? The Word of God, the the testimony of the Lord is sure. What does the word sure mean in this context? Pardon? The true. It's true. Okay? It's not some kind of well, it might help you along. You know, this... Thing, this piece of paper that I give you might help you in your quest to become a wise person. But I'm not sure. No, the testimony of the Lord is sure. It will accomplish its goal in your life if we let it do that. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. That's pretty simple, right? Right? What can we say about the Word of God? It is right. As opposed to what? Wrong. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Whenever I read something, I'm always asking myself is this right? Is it true? And most things written by human beings, no, let's back up, everything written by human beings has some mixture of that which is true and that which is, well, it was a speculation, it was a guess, it was trying to figure out. I mean, even if they meant well, they still probably didn't maybe get it all right. Because they're like me. They're just human beings. But when we read the scripture, we don't have that problem. The scripture is right. Here's the thing you need to think about. When I pick up the latest bestseller, I am making a judgment of whether it's right or wrong. When I pick up the scripture, The Scripture is making a judgment of whether I am right or wrong because the Scripture itself is the standard. It is right. I may not understand it. I may not totally comprehend it. But I do not stand in judgment of it because it is right. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. They should give you joy. More about that in just a moment. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. God's word is pure. You know, I have a cup of water here. If I took your cup of water, not my cup of water, your cup of water, And I just put, I don't know, a teaspoon of dirt in it (laughs) and stirred it up. It's mostly water, but it's not pure. It's mixed with something else. And that mixed with something else is what is going to make you not drink it because it's not pure. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Why do your eyes need enlightening? I'll give you a hint. Go to the middle of nowhere Colorado at 2 a.m. with no light on, on a night that has no moon, and it's going to be dark okay? You're going to get up, and you're going to start walking, and you're going to run into a tree. You're going to trip over a bush. You're going to fall over a rock, and some large creature is going to sneak up behind you and eat you. (laughs) Just saying could happen. Why? Because it's dark. You cannot see what you need is light. What you need is enlightenment. You know we have this period of history called the Enlightenment, right? What does that mean? The light bulb was turned on and things were illuminated. Now, I might add, just for historical context, they made that name up like they made up the name of the Dark Ages because they wanted the Enlightenment to be so much better than the Dark Ages. Nobody in the Dark Ages called it the Dark Ages. They just wanted to show how much better they were than the Dark Ages. That's a whole different story. But what we need is illumination. We need to see the truth. We need to truly see things with light. Remember in the book of John. It's in all the Gospels, but it's really strong in the book of John. You have the blind man and Jesus cures him. And this goes on for several chapters because sometimes they are talking about Jesus allowing this blind man to see and at other times they're talking about the blindness of people who have eyes that work the Pharisees. We have eyes that work, but we're not seeing the truth. We are not enlightened. Why? Because we do not understand God's word. What is it that helps us to see things rightly, to see things correctly? It is God's word. The fear of the Lord is clean, clean, enduring forever. It is not mixed with something that corrupts it. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Right? Anybody want to argue this point? It is true. Not only is it true, it is the standard by which we judge truth. It is the Word of God. Verse 10. If you didn't notice, we kind of raced through those last three. We're running out of time. Verse 10. Memorize verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Okay, here's the image. On this table, I put two bars of gold, pure, taken directly out of Fort Knox, gold. And over here, I put one paragraph out of the Word of God. Which one are you going to take home with you? The two bars of gold wouldn't last very long because we'd always think we could buy more of that if we have this. What the psalmist is trying to convince us of is that the word of God is more valuable than any material thing in which we, as human beings, put value. Here's the question. Is it more valuable to understand God and His Word? Is it more valuable to understand the truth that He reveals to us about how we are to live our lives? Is it more valuable to be right with God than to have all the wealth in the world? We, as 21st century Americans, have problems with this. As I've said repeatedly, we live in a materialistic age. Stuff matters. Stuff has value. Stuff is important. I've got more stuff than you, so I'm better than you. That person has more stuff than me, so well, I'm jealous of them. What God wants us to see, what David, writing this psalm under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants us to see, is that doing things God's way is more valuable than any material thing that exists in this world. And guess what? I'm not really sure that we believe that. But guess what? The rules of the Lord are true. They are sure. They are right. They are perfect. Verse 10 is true. Verse 10 is perfect. Verse 10 is right. It is clean. It is all of these things. And if we have trouble with verse 10... It isn't a problem of verse 10, it is a problem of we. Pretty simple, right? I'm just using this as an illustration to show you how the Word of God works on us. We don't work on the Word of God. We don't sit here with an eraser and I go, I don't like that verse, I'll erase it. In some of our lives there will come an event where we can choose to do things God's way and suffer material problems, or we can choose not to do them God's way and get some material reward. Question, based on this verse, what ought you to do? We are to follow the Word of God at all times. Do you believe that the Word of God has value? Obviously, you believe it has some value. You come to this church to hear me talk about it, to hear the sermons about it. So you obviously believe it has value. That is rare in our society today. The question is, do we, do we really believe that it is more valuable than whatever is the most valuable thing you can think of in our material world. Sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Now, I'm not a big fan of honey. I do like some nice fresh bread with honey butter on it. Mmm, that tastes good. More valuable there are some people who would say that the Word of God being more valuable is like saying that um, broccoli is better for you than fried fish. Well, maybe it is, but who wants to eat broccoli, right? Oh, sorry. We begin to think that, yeah, it may be more important, but it doesn't taste very good. It's just not, it, I mean, it's just not very appealing. So not only is the word of God more valuable, he tells us it tastes better than anything you can imagine. Now, here's my second question. The first question was, do you think it's more valuable? Do you think it tastes better? What do you mean taste? What does that mean? It means you desire it because it's pleasurable to you. David loved the Word of God. Sometimes it really messed up his life. When the prophet comes and says, you've taken somebody else's wife, and and David goes, oh, you're right. And he writes this magnificent psalm about sinning against God. Here's the question. If I told you you had to read your Bible an hour a day? I'm not going to tell you this, by the way, but let's say I did. Are you going to go, oh, shoot. It's like pulling out fingernails with a pair of pliers. You're going to make me do it. And my question is, why do we have that attitude? Why? The Word of God is more valuable than gold, and it tastes better than the sweetest thing they can imagine now if we don't think it's more valuable than gold is the problem with the word of god or with us it's with us if reading the scripture is not sweet to us is the problem with the scripture or is it with us now i'll give you a little bit of an out not too much maybe you're spending too much time in the book of leviticus or deuteronomy or numbers, just saying. But I would contend that all the Word of God is given to us to inspire us. Unfortunately, we are out of time. Maybe we'll finish this next week. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Here would be my desire for you, that you would sit down just, not an hour, just a little bit, and taste how sweet the word of God is. And I will tell you why you won't think it's sweet. Because for a long time, you'll sit there and go, "Uh, but I want to do this, and the Word of God is telling me not to do this, but I really want, uh, but the Word of, and I I taught a worldview course one time. I've done it actually multiple times to high schoolers. And one of them finally told me, you're ruining all my movies. (laughs) I said, I don't care if you go see the movies. I just want you to know what you're seeing. The Word of God reveals to us what we need to know and our prayer is that we would let the word of god change us rather than expecting us to be able to change the word of god let's close in prayer dear heavenly father thank you for your word i pray lord that we would value it more than gold and seek it more than honey for it's in jesus name we pray amen